0: Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Occasionally, there are stories and expeditions that capture your attention more than any others. Today's guest is no exception to that. In fact, her story is absolutely fascinating. She is embarking on an expedition that is out of this world, quite literally. Many of us talk about the desire to leave our planet and to make this world a better place. Diane McGrath is a living example of someone who is putting this into action. Diane is one of only 100 remaining candidates worldwide from an initial 202,586 application pool for the one-way Mars One mission in 2031. That's right, if successful, if she gets the golden ticket, she will say goodbye to her loved ones, jump on a spaceship and never return to planet Earth, instead with the mission to set up a sustainable life, living permanently on Mars. We talk at length about this decision, the extraordinary impacts this journey has on how she lives her life right now. For example, she permanently house sits in order to get used to sleeping and being in different locations. She experiments with her own food intake and what it means for her physiology and her biology. And she has ongoing biohacking experiments. What we uncover though, is that Diane's innate curiosity has been part of her entire life. She is a leading sustainability expert in environmental management, food sustainability and food security. One of her experiments involved living off the scraps that people leave on cafes and restaurants for an entire week. Yes, that's right, drinking the dregs of your coffee that you left on the table. Turns out, though, that she was never, ever hungry during that week. I love this conversation. Diane's openness and her curiosity are absolutely insatiable. And given that her own biohacking experiments have led her to reverse vision impairment, improve bone mass, turn back the ageing process, increase cognitive function and much more, she may yet discover the key to eternal youth. These insights are as relevant for the rest of us staying here on planet Earth as they are for the pioneers who may one day leave to live on Mars. Soak up the vivacious energy and the curiosity of Diane McGrath. Diane, welcome to the studio.
1: Thanks, Alice. This is awesome space. Love it. It's a
0: fantastic space. And, and I'm really excited to dive into some of the curiosity and the <laughs> experiments that underpin a lot of your world. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to start at probably the, the place where most people talk to you about and uh-huh. have the most around questions around is that you are one of the 100 people that are on the list for the Mars One mission. Yes. And I'm going to read this number out because there, you're it's down to 100 and Correct. you're one of those. So there are 99 other people, but there were 202,586 applicants yes. <laughs> and you've got down to the top 100. <laughs> I know, it kind of spins
1: me out a little bit sometimes to think that so many people started This journey. I mean, not everyone that started the application process finished it. Um, Mars One are pretty smart. They they made the application process almost like a four stage filter that weeded out people even through just applying as well. So in the end, um, instead of hundreds of thousands having suitable applications, there was only like tens of thousands kind of thing very clever. Who in HR wants to look at 100,000, 200,000?
0: <laughs> no. no. <laughs> not when everyone's going, pick me, pick me. <laughs> no. Like there's a lot of enthusiasm yes, for yeah, that. Absolutely, job, right? absolutely. So how do you underpin that? And, so, and for those who listening who, who may not have heard of the Mars One mission, mm. can you describe a little bit about what it is, what you actually
1: applied for alongside those mm.
0: hundreds of thousands of people?
1: Mars One is uh, a not-for-profit, apolitical and international organisation based in the Netherlands. And they're what's unusual about them is that they are putting together a mission to Mars, but it's, as the name suggests, one way, Mars One, one way. And that's, I guess, the, the unusual thing about this is the fact that they're, they're looking to establish a permanent settlement on Mars to develop a community of people. And, and that's their focus is really about the people and not the tech. It's not that they don't care about the tech, of course they do, <laughs> but they're going to outsource that to the people who have the expertise and that's that's really clever. Let's focus on what we do well and outsource the rest to, to ensure that it, it's successful.
0: Can you remember that moment when you realised that you were in that top 100? Huh. Where were you, how did you find out and what did that feel like?
1: Oh, yes, I remember very clearly um, the day I got shortlisted to the 100 was after the interview process. So there'd been the application process, so the four stages in, in that. Then there was the, the medical assessment and then we had the interview. So and these happened a number of months apart from each other. I mean, it took months just to interview. I mean, they asked 660 people to interview. Imagine interviewing 660 people. It took months. Um, and they did it through Skype sort of interview. And... Uh, and, I, well, I made sure that I was one of the last ones interviewed because I thought, you know, you remember what you hear first or read first and read last, but the stuff in the middle, sometimes you've really got to stand out to be remembered. So I strategically made sure I was on the the, the, the agenda, so to speak, to one of the last ones interviewed, and maybe that helped me, who knows. But I remember walking down a street in, uh, I was in sort of Coburg area in Melbourne at the time, and, and I'd set my phone an alarm to... to Look for my emails because I knew roughly what time Mars One would send out a notice of success or less so for the after that process, Uh, and that was on the on the 14th of February. Um, So it was a very interesting Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. and. and I remember, but I, I didn't need an alarm because I was checking my phone all the time. And I was I was walking down the street, and just, my poor partner, who I was with, I must have just been the most distracted person in the world, just looking at my phone, looking at my phone, and the alarm went off. But I couldn't turn it off, honestly, um, <laughs> just in case I'd forgotten. that I'd applied I to go to, go to knows? Mars. <laughs> you know, it just sort of slips your mind occasionally. Um, so, so I looked, and I remember opening up my, my um, email on my phone and. And there it was, you know, the top of the, the emails because it just come through and congratulations was the first words in that email. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm through. And, I, and then I read it all again and it's like, oh, my God, I'm through. <laughs> and I remember so clearly just standing there with um, my feet just planted so firmly on this planet. It was really quite fascinating. I remember so clearly the stance I had and and looking directly at my partner with my phone in my hand and going I've made it through the interview process and then I just started almost not quite crying but I was so overwhelmed with excitement and stress and like what the hell next and all this sort of stuff and and then we walked off and had a a drink together. I mean, I just had a soda water, but um, and the, and then we went and did a flotation tank because <laughs> I'd booked that in advance. I thought, you know, I can either afterwards doing the experience of this is what it's like to be weightless in space, or. I need to drown my sorrows. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <Why> <laughs> it's going to serve others? a purpose going to, you know, way. de-stress in a flotation <laughs>
1: thing. So I thought, well, this would be a good way, one option or the other. So I remember so clearly what happened that day and, and now whenever I go down that street, I go, oh, I was in front of that shop. Oh,
0: wow. That's, uh, you know, it's given me kind of goosebumps even just thinking of, of that moment. Was there a part of you that was going, oh, what am I in for
1: here? A little bit, but um, it had been something which I'd, Built a bit of a stronger understanding about as as the whole selection process had progressed, um, the the interview questions had been around I'm trying to ascertain if you really understood what the risks were, both the, the the technical risks because they had given us four technical questions during the interview around radiation exposure and and other things that can kill you. So they wanted to know, do you really know what you're facing here? But then there were four personal questions too that were also exploring do you understand what your role is and and what other risks that you are taking on board here? Do you know what you're doing? Uh, and those were around um, I guess knowing what that the role of the mission was and how you see yourself in that mission and, and how you are with your family. Do you have their support and things like this? So it was really an interesting interview. I'd mm. I spent a lot of time preparing for it because I guessed the sorts of things that I'd ask. Most people who've interviewed people for roles know the sorts of questions people ask. They're always the same sorts of questions. You just, how do you cope under pressure? How do you get along with other people? Exactly. Have you ever been in
0: a situation where? When you? oh yeah. so many so many
1: behavioural sorts <laughs> yes. of you know tell us about a time when. Um, and it's always going to be to try and ascertain are you the right person for this role? They've, they've already worked out by then if you've got the. The skill set that's done earlier on, that excludes... They do that to exclude people in the application process and so forth. And now it's about you. Do you fit with this possible culture uh, and understand what your role will be in this this crew, in this team, in this extraordinary endeavour? Do you fit with our values about what we're trying to do as an organisation? And what they're trying to do, Mars One, by establishing this permanent settlement on Mars wants to show that we can share space as a united humanity. So because they're international and apolitical, their vision is to have crews of astronauts, crews of four, two men and two women, so gender balance, that are age diverse from four different nations quite likely and to show that this is something we can do regardless of our differences. In fact, we want to draw on those differences to show that we can achieve more and that borders don't matter. In fact, they make a difference instead. And uh, so that's, I uh, for me, that value of this was was extraordinary, as well as the sustainability stuff. But that that alone, with what's happening on this planet today, with how much borders are being cemented even further in place in some instances, who we let in, who we don't let in, whether that's on a personal level, or political level, um, those sorts of things. What if they were taken away? What if what if they didn't matter? What if that that vision that many astronauts have when they go to the space station, many of them have said they'd love to take the world's leaders up there, just mm. to stand there and look down on Earth and realise that you don't see borders. All you see is nature. You see oceans. You see mountain ranges. You see the vast forests. You see life. You don't see... The delineation of who owns that space, because no, no one it, owns it.
0: That sense of ownership it's actually where we're custodians, rather than exactly. owners of it. Yeah, and that's fascinating to, to yeah, have that as part of the the experiment and the mission itself mm. is to bring that diversity and almost to demonstrate mm. across the humanity, as you say, on this planet to yeah. go how does it work, what, what might come up, what do we need to be aware of, what are the conversations we need to have, what do we need to stop having, what really matters mm. in amongst it all. I, I can imagine a lot of that has been quite a fascinating process. Mm. When you applied to be, to be one of the applicants, mm-hmm. uh, there would have been a drive or a reason why you put mm. your hat in the ring, so to speak. Uh, what was that, and has that changed over mm-hmm. time, or has that just strengthened?
1: A bit of both. Um, it has both changed a little bit, but also some aspects of it have consolidated, like really consolidated. Um, the I guess the key driver initially was well, it, it was curiosity. It really was. I I saw the ad um, in a, a science blog that I was reading. I can't remember the blog now. Like which organisation or whatever, put the blog out. But I remember so clearly sitting on my friend's sofa. Um, we were having preparing food for a dinner party and she was chopping some stuff or baking some stuff and there was no space for me to do anything in the kitchen. So I sat on the sofa and I was flipping through my iPad and I saw this alert in the, the science blog and it's, it was something along the lines of astronauts wanted for one-way mission to Mars. And it was it was complete clickbait for me because I thought, <laughs> wow, Seriously? What is this? What how? How do it's not NASA? How could this happen? Who are these people? What how could we do this? Is it possible? So all of these questions started streaming through my mind. And I asked my friend, have you heard of this organization? Mars One, who on earth are they? For space Um, and and she had, I but I hadn't. So she explained to me, Oh yeah, this is what they are and what they're trying to do. And she would have applied, but she wasn't able to meet some of the criteria. So and so I looked at the details of it and I thought, huh, I could probably apply for this. I I got most of these credentials and what I don't, I'm sure I could learn. Um, So that's kind of the the first instinct was Mm. how and why and what. Um, And then as I dived into it further and I realised that Mars One's mission to live there permanently meant that they would have to be completely sustainable because... They can't rely on resupply. No, no, you can't wait for the Woolies no. truck to pull up. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no, no, it's fresh free. No Uber not eats, gonna... nothing like that. You got to grow all your can't own. Can't be bothered no. today pulling up the cucumbers. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, so, from the energy perspective, from water, from our materials, we can't. It's a seven-month journey minimum from Earth to Mars. So. You know, it's not like you're going to even just ship crates of things and then, well, we're fine for toilet paper for the next, you know, two years. It doesn't kind of work like that. We have to be able to either produce everything we need to survive or reproduce it, which is part of the thing. How do we take the materials we have and reuse them and reuse them and reuse them? So the whole recycle, reuse, et cetera, which, you know, we try and drill into kids at school and try and display as um, mature and sensible adults... It's just part of how we would have to live on Mars. There's no oh, what we need to remember is this reusable. It's like no, everything already has. It has to be multiple. That's... There'd be no reason to have anything on that planet unless it had multiple functions already or was not able to be broken down back to its constituent parts that could then be reused. Food, for example, food waste, anything that's left over, that's their vital nutrients that have to go back into feeding plants that then get consumed by us again. Otherwise, our health deteriorates. So, you know, the whole system has to be thought of like that. Um, And so that was really exciting to me as someone with an interest and expertise in sustainability. I thought, wow, we have to do it. We can't just give it lip service like we often do on this planet mm. because we still want to get our quick takeaway coffee occasionally like, oh, I forgot my keep cup or whatever, whatever mm. excuses we sometimes give to ourselves. And, yeah. and some of them are quite reasonable. It's really hard to we be the green. flexibility, right? Exactly.
0: What you're talking about is you don't and the
1: audacity to kind of
0: go, well, maybe or yeah. that's it. You only have what you have. If you have
1: what you have, how do you make it work? And And it's it's stimulated so many other interesting experiments um, and that for me, like I I spent a year living um, without bringing any new single-use plastic into the house a couple of years ago. I thought, all right, you know, we do in July, there's something called Plastic Free July, Mm. which was started in Western Australia and is now a global phenomenon, which is fantastic. But one month, you can always suck it up and do something for one month, right? It's like people who do um, Feb fast or, you know, to stop drinking for the month or whatever it is. I thought what if I did it for a year what would that do what would I realize and learn about myself my own behaviors around the use of plastics or and how would other people respond to that and then what behaviors would then stay after that year is finished as opposed to just return to usual behavior which is often what happens after these other month long experiments and uh, and it was an interesting interesting experience what if you couldn't have any plastic in your house?
0: It would be fascinating. So my last year my son got into me about um, Plastic Free July. Uh-huh. So we did it for the month and I, I kind of went into it going, yeah, a month, no worries. We can totally be conscious of plastics for a month and was blown away at how much plastic is everywhere. Like even going to buy a toothbrush. Hmm. It's wrapped. In plastic, mm. like so, and and um, fruit, fruit and veggies. And if you want to buy organic from mm. some shops, it, the organic fruit and veggies are the ones that are wrapped in plastic.
1: Mm. Like I'm that's trying to. Nice. <laughs> it seems counterintuitive, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, and so many pieces so of if, fruit already have a package. That's that's right. An orange, that's right. it has a natural package it's around it. <laughs> so what did you learn after a year? Well, how, what did you find? What did you change? Mm. I became healthier because I couldn't buy any packaged food. Um, I had to cook all my own food from scratch, like everything, any sort of sauces or condiments that you'd normally make. Even the jars you often buy things in underneath. Sometimes they'll have a plastic lid. So things like this is like, oh. Um, I found the hardest thing was working with um, medical aspects. So for hygiene uh, and, you know, sanitised Products and so forth, everything's got plastic. You know, you go, if you need to buy a Panadol or some other pain reliever or whatever, it's got a plastic wrap on the outside. So, all this sort of stuff, it's like, okay, I just need to find other ways of dealing with these problems. Mm. Um, I, the feminine hygiene thing actually was easy. That was a piece of cake. Um, initially, I thought, oh, how do I do this? You know, each month you buy these new things. Yes. It's like or do we? I mean, we've only been using tampons and things like that for what, how many decades? And yet as a species, we've been having periods for <laughs> hmm, millennia. <Yeah>. So there's got to have been a way we've dealt with this in the past. Yeah. And so, you know, I looked back there to was those. And there's more and
0: more products coming oh, into that fantastic. space that are
1: reusable. Oh, yeah. And then it made me think as well about the resource of that Collects. We don't, we don't talk about these sorts of things very often, um, as even women amongst ourselves. I mean, we see that as, as a waste product, the, the blood as a waste product, and then we just want to get rid of it. But what's in that? Iron. I'm sorry, if we're living on Mars, on another planet, that's got very, very limited nutrient input opportunities. And we're removing, <laughs> we yes. need that iron. Yeah. So we'd be needing to treat everything and manage everything and keep everything back in the system. Um, and I started using that sort of stuff to um, water down and, and so forth to help um, water plants and things like that. And so iron was, I'm putting my own iron back in the system. It sounds a bit fascinating, odd, um, but it was something that I wasn't expecting and it just the experiences of that. And I think the I was reminded that people's behaviour is very automatic and not thought about. And so when you would go to a bar with friends or whatever and you wanted a drink of soda water and people automatically would put a straw in, so I had to buy uh, one of those metal straws and take it with me like a magic wand to, to bars and, uh, and as, I was, as I was ordering the drink, I'd wave my magic <laughs> wand and say, I don't need a straw, I have my own, and, but do it in a funny sort of way. Yeah. So they're disrupted Yes. The pattern because otherwise they automatically just put the straw in. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've got to do it beforehand
0: otherwise it's because then even when you go, I no, I don't want the straw, they'll just take it out and put it in the beer. I've they seen do. that it's time
1: like, and time oh, again. I know, no, exactly. So <laughs> yes. I had to, I, it took a, a few errors or realising that, oh, people's behaviour is so automatic. How do I break that? And that was one of the ways I found that broke that quite well was mm. doing something which made people stop because it broke their pattern. It's like, oh, that's odd. And naming it too, like, oh, this is a bit weird, I know, but I've got my own magic wand straw. Can I have this one, please?
0: Yeah, magic. So breaking their their patterns but also um, some of that is also the stories that we've been told, you know, over the years around mm. um, what is waste, what is what is not mm. and what is okay. Mm. Um but what I love is, is that sense of experiment that I think was probably always there for you but sparked mm. even deeper when mm. you had this stronger kind of purpose around if I was on Mars, <laughs> I'd have to use everything here. Yes. I'd have to um, see that as a resource and even, even from your own Bodily perspective to actually go <laughs> well. What is it that I I've producing, never discussed that create? Well, Too many people say, well, I have yeah, yeah, mind not bring it up?" It's really interesting, and you know, when I even when I talk about stories, I think even for women, for so many mm. uh, probably decades and centuries, it was uh, you know a dirty or mm, and, and a waste kind of taboo kind mm. of thing. So I think part of those kind of conversations is well, let's take out the taboo from it and. And there's almost a scientific, unemotional kind of angle to it of what is that, but also then a celebration of, to just, what, yeah. this this space and place where, where life can be created um, and therefore what, what else does that mean and use mm. and that's just another way to look at the way and disrupt yeah. those stories that we tell ourselves time mm. and time again. So I want to come back in a moment to some of the other experience and that mm. sense of experimentation but before we leave kind of Mars 1, one of the things I'm fascinated in and you, you touched on before around that the one-way version Mm. of it, Mm -hmm. the fact that you're going in one direction and the impact that has on family and Mm. friends and this sense of in essence I would be saying I'm signing myself up to say goodbye forever. Yes. How how have family and friends responded to that and how have you, I guess, navigated that for Mm. yourself?
1: Family, my family have been fantastic uh, and my friends too. My friends, when I told them that I'd been shortlisted and explained what Mars One was, I remember one of my friends um, replied to a message I'd put out on, you know, my private Facebook sort of page saying, yeah, I was wondering what you would do next. I didn't think it would be Mars, but of course. <laughs> Go you. <laughs> Go you, exactly. Go you. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I've done a few quite... Um, unusual or different sort of challenges for myself. Like, oh, I wonder what happens if, and, you know, like I've cycled from Adelaide to Canberra, um, you know, on a bike and uh, to relocate myself for work. And I thought, oh, why don't I see some of Australia in this month? I'll just cycle in camp instead of getting on a plane and being there in an hour. It took me a month. Um, so, or jump from planes or run ultramarathons. So it's like, oh, can I do this? And what would happen if I do? And how do I do this? So, so they weren't surprised, my friends, just like, oh, but Mars, okay, cool. Uh, my family, my brothers, I've got three brothers and uh, my parents are, are both still alive and so supportive. In fact, I think they're probably my best uh, fans, so to speak. My, my dad, he's one of the biggest feminists in my life. Um, he always made me think as a young girl that my gender wouldn't stop me from doing things. It's not something that he outright... It, expressed to me because he's not that sort of guy, like he's in his early 80s now and and, and men of that era never really discussed those sorts of things. Mm. But he just did things to help facilitate or make sure the door wasn't closed to me. Um, for example, when I was a little girl, age six, seven, I wanted to play cricket. And this is in the 70s. And in those days, girls didn't really play cricket. And, and so where we lived, there was a, a couple of local boys' cricket clubs, uh, cricket teams, and I really wanted to play. And my twin brother was playing, and I was like, oh, I want to play too. And because uh, anything he wanted to do, <laughs> I was doing. <laughs> not that we're competitive or being compared <laughs> all our lives. Of course we are. Um, although not so much now, you know, growing up and we're our own selves. But when we're kids, yeah. everyone compares You're the two at of the you. Same You're age twins, in exactly, Yes. Exactly, um, yes. So, so my dad coached the local boys' team then. He decided, I'm going to coach the local boys' team. And what that did, without me thinking about it, but I realise now, it meant that I didn't Put have you that on the first team. barrier. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I felt even then, though, that I, I knew I had to perform better because otherwise I would be the coach's daughter so she gets more of a go and so I had to show that I was at least as good as the boys, if not better. So it always gave me, uh, I guess, you know, a stretch, <laughs> a stretch goal in some ways but that first barrier wasn't there. So I've I've always been supported by my dad, and when I told him, um, he he said, "You just got to live your dreams. You, you just got to do it." Uh, my mum, I'm the only girl in the so her only daughter and uh, the eldest, and um, and I remember when I told her I was when I was shortlisted the first time um, through the application process to about a thousand and fifty eight people worldwide. I was not in the country at the time. I was in Denmark doing a university intensive for a few weeks there, and. And I remember getting the email and I, I remember walking into my hotel room and then opening up my mail, um, emails, and and I saw the email from Mars One saying, you know, congratulations, you and 1,057 others are through, go get these medicals, uh, medical tests done. Uh, number one, I was absolutely staggered that I'd gotten through to start yeah. <laughs> with. Um, but then like, oh, wow, what does this mean? And it meant that oh, my gosh, I have to tell my family. I hadn't actually told them that I'd applied. I don't need to know bases, you know. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unlikely to happen. Unlikely to happen. Don't stress them out. No, exactly. Don't want to stress mum out. So I I called her from Denmark to tell her because I thought, oh, just imagine if mum, at that stage I think it was about 35 Australians or something like that, 30-odd Australians in that 1,058. Mm -hmm. um, or was it, 20-odd? Anyway, only a small amount, only a few of them in Melbourne, and I thought, oh, if my mum hears about this through the courier mail or the Herald Sun, <laughs> you know, I'd be it's in more trouble than actually telling her I'm going <laughs> She'll to Mars. she send me to Mars you know Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so i better betting on the phone and tell her. I talk, and after much discussion, like it's not the it's not the conversation you have with someone every, every day. Um, and it took me a while to actually. I spit it out. I I, I told her that I applied for this job with this company who's based in the Netherlands. And everything's like, how do I get to the final stage of saying I might be going to Mars? Um, And eventually when I told her, it was, (laughs) she's probably going like, that's the worst negotiation of a job ever. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But she was, well, initially, because I used to work in Europe for a while. So I thought, oh, maybe I, if I peg that one in first. She thought, oh, you could be moving to Europe, and you know, telling her there'd be a lot of travel. And I thought, there's all this sort of stuff to try and get to the point of, I could be leaving this planet forever. Um, and she was pretty excited about it because I didn't, I didn't tell her the one way bit straight away. I told her about the Mars stuff, like I could be going to Mars. Uh, and but of course, anyone that was alive and a you know and old enough to remember the the late sixties when yeah. the space race was at its peak and And humanity, like mankind, first stepped on the moon, which was in July 1969, 50 years this year. I was born the day after that happened. So it was a huge moment in time. Yes, for my mother, obviously, she had twins. But for humanity, because everyone on this planet that had access to any sort of media was standing around a television, listening on the radio. All of the planet felt they stepped on the moon. doesn't matter where they were from. So there was a moment in history that united humanity and more people signed up to do a PhD then than any other time in history. So what could we be? And so my mother was obviously wrapped up in that mm. concept too, like well, my daughter could be a part of this next giant leap for humanity. Of course, you've yeah. just got to do this. Um, and we had some discussion. I mean, you know, the one way bit was a bit of like, okay, it's um, yeah. <laughs> a bit different. Um, <laughs> but then when she realised still that, well, that doesn't negate the extraordinary outcome that this could be, <laughs> open the door. Yeah, amazing. Got to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so completely supportive, which is fantastic. Uh, and and how I've come to terms with that, the second part of your question, it's, I guess I get asked about it a lot. And so we, I do a lot of personal reflection. I journal pretty much every day. I meditate every day, at least once a day, sometimes mm-hmm. a couple of times a day. And... Uh, and during that space i i often will reflect on those sorts of things mm. uh, and i've worked with psychologists and counselors on on some of the elements of the psychology of what we would face going to mars i mean when when i first got sh- shortlisted in the 1058 i had a look at all the health risks that astronauts face and and mental health is one of the top ones i mean you think about it, the extreme isolation the extraordinary pressure, depression, anxiety, tension.
0: Oh, it's the kind of things you, you use in torture chambers. Oh. Like,
1: yeah, it's, absolutely. But, well, yeah. And so I thought, well, how can I build my own personal resilience toolkit so I can deal with this sort of stuff or be at least able to know where to look and what to do to, to draw in some of those things or or lean in and draw out mm-hmm. from myself ways of dealing with this so I started working with some um, some people on this exact stuff to start working through grief and loss because people started talking to me as if I was dying in 10 14 years instead of just going to another planet mm. so it reevaluated some of my relationships that I had and I started working through other elements of, of self-worth as well and and expectation of others um, because I when I think about what I may fear the most because I don't have a lot of fears about it from a technical perspective. If things break, they fix them or we're dead. I mean, you know, I can't control some of those things yeah, yeah. but I can control how I respond to some of the things that occur. And, and some of the, the biggest pressures are the ones I put on myself in life usually uh, including expectation. And so I thought about if I'm on Mars and in maybe one of the early crews, then how much of humanity's expectations am I taking on board what am I expected to do on behalf of everybody else? Mm. And so I've been trying to to continue over the years to work through that and realize that I can only just be the best me I can be in that moment doing that thing, and that's going to have to be enough. There you go, humanity, just <laughs> just, just back
0: off for a little bit. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But there is a sense of I could imagine um, in a in a sense of loneliness and uh, mm. that sense of responsibility mm. could feel really um, heavy to the point of paralysation, mm. which is not conducive at the time. What have you, and you alluded to the journaling and meditation, mm. what have you changed then mm. for life here right now Gosh, based on on so some much. of those?
1: Uh, if you put Diane McGrath... 2013 against Diane McGrath today, 2019 versus Diane McGrath in 2031, you'll see this trajectory of growth which towards this Diane 2.0 that um, phenomenally different person looks the same. A few more grey hairs, a few more lines, you know, but dramatically different both from my behaviours but also my mental health too. Like I've really changed a lot of the way I experience the world including the basic stuff of what I put into my body as well. I eat in such a way that facilitates better mental health. Um, I have other behaviours, remove things in in my life that may um, challenge in some ways that aspect of of mental health too. But at the same time, I work on things that build my resilience. So I house sit permanently. Um, I have been doing that for about four and a half years nearly now. Because I know that one of the greatest stresses we have in life is when we actually move home, when we move our house or whatever, especially if we're building a place or moving to somewhere new and tradies and all this sort of stuff. The stresses of that can be extreme, especially if you have families or relationships and all this, you've got to balance too. So uh, I've discovered that a lot of astronauts or so NASA when they do their training with their astronaut crews will often have them moving every handful of months to the nation or, or state or whatever, where they need to learn that technology or where the skills are they need to experience. Yeah. Um, and so they're moving a lot. And I thought, oh, how will I deal with that? If I if I start to expose myself to that now and move very, very regularly, how can I build a sense of resilience that I have great health, just generally good mental health, excellent work practice, um, life experiences and that, and try and work out how to bring these positive behaviours or keep them in my life in such a way that I can adapt and do it wherever I am and or if things are so disrupted, learn how to quickly reintegrate them or in different ways. Um, so that's been something which has been a remarkable journey for me as well to discover the, the behaviours that are important to me um, and meditation has become one of them. It mm-hmm. didn't used to be but it is now um, and other little routines that I can't routinize too much because if I routinize them too much, once it's disrupted, that causes distress, and so I've discovered this this aspect of habituation, which in um, in behavioural psychology, from the stuff I, I do in my research, if we do something every day and pay very little attention to it, it, it does nothing; it, it creates no behaviour change at all. So I need to make sure that when I'm doing certain behaviours, that I add mi- mini disruptors to it. Like for example, I've taught myself to brush my teeth with my left hand. It increases brain plasticity, number one, but it also means that if my right hand, I break it for some reason, I can now do it with my left. So little mm-hmm. things like this, like, oh, I'm now brushing my teeth with my left hand I'm feeling that I'm not actually touching those back teeth very well. Huh, that's really interesting. So it, it brings you more aware into what you're doing. So I've, I've brought these sorts of behaviours or experiences into my life to... It's always bring me more present into today.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you, what have they what have what has those little things kind of taught you, regardless mm. of whether you ever go to Mars? I guess what I'm fascinating, you know, for mm. people listening, you can go, what is it? What's that own personal trajectory of growth? And I mm. totally hear what you're saying, because I think as human beings we create we crave routine and mm. rituals and it's, it's why, the, you know, when school holidays are on and when we're travelling, often that health stuff goes out the window mm. we'll just eat whatever and drink whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> on an holidays and I'll, when I'm back into my routine at home then I'll get back to mm. eating well. And what you're describing is actually going how can I eat well regardless of where I am, regardless of whether I'm on a plane, whether it's holidays, whether I've got visitors, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what are the ways to kind of keep that? But then the trick of almost hacking yourself to go, Mm. but if it's too much of a ritual, if I'm too rigid in Mm -hmm. it, then that very thing may not be available. So mm. how do I continue to break the circuit yeah. of And not
1: that? obsess about it? Because I know with some of the, the dietary sort of stuff, people can get very obsessed with things, whether that be when they step on a scale and, and watching those numbers like crazy, or if there's certain sorts of foods that they eat and they can't eat that, that other food. And so I've I've practiced so many different ways of eating um, that I'm comfortable to, to flex between X, Y and Z um, or to not eat at all. I've done multi-day fasts, uh, five-day fast being the longest with only just water and black coffee. Um, so I did it as a five-day because I knew that then this next selection stage will have us doing um, a very, in- very intense um, process over five days. And I thought, well, what are some of the things that, that really push my buttons being overtired. We often get a bit grumpy mm-hmm. and you know, not great at uh, communicating and all that sort of stuff. And when I'm really hungry. So I thought, well, can I break those or can I learn to, to deal with those in such a way that are um, going to negate the impact that they can have? And so I thought, well, if I can not even think about food, if food doesn't even matter to me for five days, that's not a problem. So I can deal with the fact that if the food that's presented to me during selection is stuff that I don't like or don't want or whatever, I can go, that's fine, I just won't eat for five days. No big deal. Um, and then the other one is sleep. Mm. And, I, and I've immersed myself in it so much sleep and just because of the fact that you know, astronauts sleep at least one hour less a night in space than they do on Earth. And we already under sleep, honestly, especially in Australia, we get, what, about six and a half hours of sleep a night? It's
0: appalling. Some of that research around heart disease and the impact on that is is Mm. really um, remarkable. Like even in the last six months I've looked into some of that and it's eye-opening. The change in um, daylight savings, mm. so they've actually seen that seismic shift and health impacts mm. um, increase just when we go back or forward an hour. Isn't that nuts? It's scary. It's like jet lag.
1: <laughs> You're putting your body through jet lag yeah. every year just yeah. because you can get a little bit more sunlight for a short while. What is it? it just, it's their naturally What's the natural environment? Our body for millennia gets these signals from the sun, the temperature, etc. and why do we try and force these other things onto it and yeah. completely disrupt the way our cycle works. So, so, so what did you do, about. the
0: hack? Yeah. Oh, sleep. Yeah,
1: really, uh, there's so much about sleep that can improve our health and and I thought, well, number one, I need to work out how I can sleep in any sort of environment. So, you know, or if I only get a short amount of sleep, how can I hack it in such a way that I can improve and increase the amount of deep sleep I get in particular because mm-hmm. that's, that's the part that happens early on. So for those who are less aware... When we sleep, we get deep sleep, light sleep and REM usually. They're the three sort of phases of sleep that we get and, and deep sleep tends to happen earlier in the night and that's when our body repairs itself uh, it is one of the main things. But also it's when um, research seems to suggest now, more recent research, that's when our, our brain sort of flushes as well mm. some of those amyloid beta plaques and stuff like that that can lead to or is associated with um, dementia and that's like, well, that happens then you in the deep phase Lord. you don't want to lose that no no, no. that's really important yeah. um and so then we have a look as well at the other end at rem so rem is really important though too we even though most of the research suggests that if we lose the stuff at the start if we don't have much deep we increase our risk of all cause mortality of dying so much more than if we don't have much of the rem so go to bed early ladies and gentlemen mm. makes a big difference but you can get up earlier that's going to be okay as long as you're still getting some REM because that does a lot of work in, in working out and putting together memory. Yeah. So connect all those connections, that's it's what we dream as well. It's, it's putting all these interesting connections together and creating and consolidating things into longer-term memory. All happens in that second phase of our sleep. And mm-hmm. so you know, I realise that, all right, if I can focus on the first bit first, if I can hack my sleep, even if it's short so I still get a good chunk of deep, and ensure that I'm doing things to support good memory consolidation and, and, you know, the other part of it, then then that's going to be a winner no matter whether I'm on this planet or in space. It doesn't really matter. Um, so all the sorts of things such as you know, making sure I get good light exposure, like natural light exposure, the sun, uh, waking up at a regular sort of time of the day if I can, um, sometimes life you know, on a plane early, whatever, whatever. Um, coffee, making sure that I'm not drinking a lot of caffeine after a certain hour. So I, I learned so much about how the body responds to, to the stimuli that we give it um, in relation to sleep that I realised I was doing some behaviours that can affect that so dramatically. And so I started to ex- explore them, take them out, put them back in, take them out, put them back in and track them. Um, I've got a number of different devices that I use to track sleep and to work out... If I do this thing, what happens? And I follow it and I can see how much deep I get and how much REM and so on. So so I've learned how my body responds to stuff and continue if I need to increase it for a while. Bang, go on that. Like when strategically, if I'm exercising one day, I'm going to want a lot of deep sleep that night if I'm lifting weights because I want it to repair and build new muscle. So I'll do some hacks at night to get better deep sleep that night. Mm. Um, or if I'm doing a lot of learning because I'm writing my PhD and I'm, I'm wanting to explore ideas and so forth, I'll do some things in the, the afternoon or the evening that are going to support better REM so that my mind is doing this really interesting processing work at night um, for me. So I wake up and go, oh, of course, A and B equals... Z not <laughs> D. <laughs> and I can bust that out and write that before breakfast. Absolutely. Absolutely. A thousand ways
0: done. <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, there's also what I mean, what I love about that, not only the experiment side, but it's also understanding the context of what's happening for you today. Mm. So I think sometimes we get we can get caught in our day-to-day world as kind of going, Well, I just have to do the same thing at the same time and that's just what it is, as opposed to I don't I think most people listening every week is completely oh, different. Absolutely, there is there is a new level of stressors, or there's other things that are taken away, or something else that comes up. Um, let alone just the the uh, weather changes and mm. seasons and mm-hmm. all of those things that are that are different as well. So to actually, whatever it is. You know, and go, well, what is it that I need right now? What do I need yes. in an hour? What do I need tomorrow? Yes. And what can I do now that will help what I need tomorrow is a great way to kind of be looking at just your own system
1: um, mm. regardless of how experimental <laughs> you jump into it or <laughs> well, data-driven. You and make it makes it, me think about, yes, for me personally, it makes a huge difference and it's changed the way that, you know, I, I, I am today and will be in the future even more so. But it's the same for anybody else too and any business. I mean, if people are trying to think about ideas for their business or, or work out what's the, the best way forward for a particular issue or challenge, yes, okay, I mean, I used to work in marketing for a long time and you do five-year plans and 10-year, even 15-year plans. That's fantastic. But how's that in relation to today? And what do I, how do I respond to what's in front of me as well? So it's getting the balance of that right and instilling behaviours in today that allow you to be flexible towards reaching tomorrow. Like how can I be me 2.0, organisation 2.0 or whatever? Mm. In, but what behaviours do I need to learn about today and learn to flex and alter and, and realise are, are the critical ones, are the elements of, of sleep, of fuel or whatever? What are, what's the fuel for me, my body, my organisation? Mm. And what happens if that changes? You know, have I got alternative ways to ensure that I'm still going to succeed and, and excel?
0: Yeah, fascinating. I'm, I'm sitting here running through my own business going, oh, I'm going to sit down <laughs> and actually write that out and do that. For yourself, where does that, that because it's deep curiosity mm. in all aspects, where does that come from for you? I think you I must think? have driven my mother nuts as a little girl.
1: I must have been one of those kids that asked why, why, why. I remember one time, um, <laughs> bless my mum, but I'll never forget this moment. Um, when I was between the age of six and ten, we lived in the Adelaide Hills and my parents owned a German delicatessen. Uh, it was it was the days, it was Handorf was the town and many people will know Handorf. Um, it's a small German town in the Adelaide Hills and these days it's extremely touristic. There's all this quaint little faux German everything. In those days, back in the 70s, it was a tiny, tiny village that had two German delis, two pubs and not much else. It was devastatingly quiet. So it was a lovely place to grow up. You'd ride your bikes and go fishing in the, the creek or whatever else. And my parents, owning this deli, mum used to make all her own pickles and preserves except for a few things that she would st- stock from um, a supplier in the Barossa Valley. So I remember one time going with her to the Barossa, which is a beautiful place mm. in Australia, down to the Brossa to this this place that made pickled onions and stuff like that. And uh, and I remember going to the factory and I was oh, my gosh, how exciting, you know, all these little belts and people in coats and with little bonnets on, all the sort of really fascinating for a kid. And I remember seeing as all, with all the different exciting machinery, there was this big red button just near it. And I was six or seven at the time, so I didn't read really well. I could read okay. And I wondered what would happen if I pressed that button. Next thing you know, <laughs> 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 Diane.
0: Yes, Diane, yes. I don't think I sat down for a week
1: and my mother never took me on one of those trips again. Um, however, I think it's an illustration that I always wondered what would happen if. Yeah. And, uh, and perhaps it's the fact that my parents have always been curious people too and my father has had a number of different careers and my mother has too. Like before they owned this shop in the Adelaide Hills, they'd never owned their own business before. Never. My father used to work for the public service in Victoria and my mother was a housewife looking after, you know, three babies at the time, or young, very young children. They went on a holiday. They discovered this shop they thought was quite cute and quaint and they went, Ah, oh, why not? Oh, that would be an interesting life. And so they did it. Yeah. So you had this role model, not? this demonstration of it. What's I... the worst that could happen is the question, I think. Yeah. You know, what's the worst that could... Life could stay the same.
0: I'm really, and I'm going to be a little bit selfish going down this path no, no I'm, I'm really it. fascinated in that sense of curiosity and questioning mm. what stops us from doing it
1: mm. because
0: I do think there are times where there are barriers yeah. either on a personal but also mm. on a business level mm. uh, or on a team or on a family perspective where we've you know, we been told it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just you, we can't change. It's a great idea to have a pipe dream but reality is and mm. I'm a realist. What, what stops that? What gets in the way of that?
1: Uh, sometimes I think there's a sense of fear that people have of change. What if? So there's that whole anxiety aspect of stuff. So anxiety, as you and probably many of your listeners will be aware, is, is future thinking concern. What if this thing happens? What if that goes wrong? What if? But what if it goes right? Something that can be quite fearful for some people as well. What if it actually goes right and I have to change all this yes. stuff or well, all this stuff changes because I've made this positive decision? Yeah. Do these relationships change? Do they whatever? Relationships are always going to change anyway. If we look backwards and we see all of the relationships we've had in the past, the businesses we've been involved with, the jobs we've had, the schooling we've done, whatever it is, they've all changed. Any time in life, it doesn't matter, it's always changed but there's a, there's a safety about doing the same thing or perceived safety, mm. um, which I think is a fascinating thing and and I recognize that too like I know I like it when some things work the way I like them to work. Of course they do. Everybody likes things the way they like it. <laughs> it's like oh, I like it my way. Of course we do. I like to order what I like to eat. That's right. I like to see you the, put movies the milk I in I like last it. when we make they? tea. Of course you <laughs> do. You don't <laughs> put it in first. That's ridiculous. That's crazy <laughs> <No>. That's <right>. <laughs> <laughs> So so you know. Once again, there's that whole stuff about disrupting your patterns. If we have patterns, if we have certain behaviours, having them just do the same is mean there's there's little disruption which can be a positive thing for some people or a negative thing. Um, but a lot of good stuff happens at disruption too. If we forcibly disrupt ourselves, we become r- more resilient. But that does mean discomfort at the moment of challenge. So in being curious and allowing yourself to explore that curiosity, I guess then the next step is what do I do with that? Because people often will fantasise, don't they? Mm. They'll, they'll often consider, oh, if I did that thing or well, there's that great job I wanted to go for or the business opportunity, we could really scale ourselves up here. Oh, but what if it doesn't work? Mm. What if it does work? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah,
0: what if it does work and it's cost me my time or effort or mm. energy or relationships or connections yeah, yeah, yeah. or, um, yeah, there, as you say, there's a huge amount of fear in success as mm. much as there is in
1: Which is uh, fair yeah. enough, and especially if there's going to be some trade-offs that occur with that and... And I think when when I signed up to go to to go to Mars, there really was a bit of a uh, a pros cons list, all of the extraordinary things that could happen and the trade offs. It's it's no different, and those trade offs are still you know family and friends, breathable atmosphere, all those <laughs> crazy <laughs> useful things like that. Um, but dramatic, dramatic change. Yeah. Um, but then when I I considered those things, I I didn't want to see them as cons or as sacrifices. As soon as I realised that if I saw it as a sacrifice, I would have resentment towards that activity. If instead I focused on it as part of the decision making, it's like this is what I embrace or accept or adopt as part of that change, then it actually reduced the power of those things. And so I think our mindset, that whole curiosity and then stepping forward into it to explore stuff if we can learn to embrace that some of the stuff going to happen, may not always be considered positive initially, but it'll just be part of that journey mm. and then other things will fill that space. Physics, the universe will always fill a vacuum, yeah, find and force a way to fill a vacuum. That's kind of how it is unless it's so contained it's almost impossible and that's not how life works. So the vacuum will be filled with other extraordinary things and other challenges.
0: And that's part of the 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 adventure, yeah. and life will happen. Yeah, as you say, rather if you're trying to control it, it will life will happen, and if you're expansive and curious and diving into a few things, life will happen. Because I imagine one of the things that comes to mind in that consideration, and I love the way that you've almost described. It's not that I'm, it's a sacrifice and I'm giving it up. It just is, mm. and and I will find resilience or ways to deal with that. But one of those I imagine not only saying farewell to family and friends but then not being there for their moments, mm. yeah. um, for their birthdays, their celebrations, their passings, mm-hmm. uh, mm. some of those kind of considerations. Oh, what are the ways that you um, look at that or I guess yeah. have, have put that in a way of going, like you said, it's not a sacrifice. No. But it just is a possibility.
1: It is. It absolutely is. It's, And it's not just a possibility. It will happen. If I accept it as this is part of this journey that these things will happen, that my parents will one day pass away, that my twin brother will pass away, that my nieces and nephews will get married and have kids and, and do their own extraordinary things, uh, that my partner will enjoy a life which is, you know, not physically with me in the same space, all these sorts of things, they will happen if I recognise that that's just a part of that journey. What it's done... Has allowed me to be in the journey today. Um, it's allowed me to actually have discussions with my parents about them passing away, things that we don't, once again, taboos, we don't talk about because we don't want to go there. But it's completely changed my relationship with my family by actually discussing this stuff. I feel much more comfortable and freer speaking with my mother and my father about their life in the future and, and when it might end and my life and when it might end as well, um, which never would have done before just because culturally we don't do that sort of stuff. And it's also given me the chance to do things with my family that also we don't do. So every year I come and spend time with my twin brother. Up, um, He lives in Queensland here and and I come and spend at least a couple of weeks with him and we just live together. We just be in each other's space where he has his nine to five or not quite nine to five but, you know, his work day uh, and I'll go and do a writing retreat for some of my PhD. But we just live together. When do we see our family in any quality? It's always at what birth, death, marriages? No other time. Mm. And the last time we had any decent, depth relationship with our siblings was when we were still sharing bedrooms together when we were <laughs> kids and teenagers. And that was not necessarily a positive one in no. some instances, right? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Who is this person that's now mm. 20, 30, 40, 50 years older? Do I know them? I don't. So. What it's done is it's it's really ignited a, an opportunity for me to actually know the people in my life that matter and that's challenged me as well because I've been a very, um, I guess, contained person, very resilient uh, and adaptable with life but I've kind of managed it all myself yeah, and within had myself. To be solo. Yeah. I have over the years and, you know, living in the outback and the Northern Territory and so many things in my childhood and, and young adulthood that have made me become a much more, um, I guess, internalised person. And it's forced me now to actually do the opposite and start to open myself up and be more vulnerable. So so these challenges, of the, these trade-offs, of these um, things, not just possibility of happening but definitely happening, has vastly enriched the life I have with the people I love now, dramatically so.
0: And there's lessons in that for all of us. I remember mm. uh, when you and I first met um, a couple of months ago, I was talking about that experience. I had this sense that it was almost what if all of us had this experience that Mm. you're living and breathing of Mm. possibly going to Mars Mm. and what might that enrich the life that we have right now, Mm. whether it's through just the um, presence and awareness of those that we love and, Mm. and consciously spending time with them Without there being a holiday agenda, or a you know, five swims in the pool that we have to have, or that no you know, it's just uh, let's just Isn't that unusual? be with. Mm. Uh, what other permission do we need? And and I love you know for you there there is this massive reality that I may not be on this planet. Mm. I'll still be alive, mm-hmm. but not on this planet, and so therefore that has prompted that change probably Mm. into massive action in a way that for most of us we don't have the the impetus to do that. So my curiosity starts to go, well, what would it take? Mm. What would it take for us to, yeah, follow some of that pathway, learn, um, soak up, Mm. but also disrupt our own patterns today? Not yeah. when we think we need it, but today what's a different way you could drive home? What's mm. a, mm. a uh, you know, take a moment to write a letter to someone, anyone. Mm. By the, hand. The barista. <laughs> <The day you laughs> sticky <get> note. <laughs> yeah, sticky note, something, <laughs> anything. What are those little disruptions <laughs> along the way that actually might might make
1: a difference mm. in the moment? And it's quite dramatic. Um The effects that some of these have, these these little disruptions um, become quite fun when you start to get into the the habit of, habit, it sounds funny, but um, the practice, I guess is a better term, the practice of doing mini disruptions in your life becomes fun as well. It's like, oh, oh, that's what that feels like. I never knew... That's what it would be like to brush my teeth with my left hand or <laughs> Have you got whatever. any
0: cool examples or fun ones that
1: you have oh, tried, played with? Gosh. I'm sure
0: there's plenty. Oh,
1: um, <laughs> look, and it is kind of attached to an experiment I did um, for my research. Um, I spent a week living off food waste now, um, and we might explore this in more detail mm. or not, but um, it, the the challenge for myself that I gave myself was sadly I wanted to show the world that we throw away so much food when we dine out uh, and, and I'd written a publication and presented something at a conference and blah, blah, blah. So the world of academia would see what these results look like, but the world that we live in would not. And I thought, oh, I want people to understand and experience this. So I decided to, to do this quite publicly on social media and I did it through Instagram and InstaLive and stories and that. And So I'd go to a cafe or a pub or wherever that people had been dining and after the diners had left, I would sit at their spot and finish what's left on the plate. So um, I didn't know these people. I didn't pay for a single thing to eat all week. I could bring nothing from home, et cetera. And, uh, and I remember one of the, the points of disruption that I found quite funny was for coffee. So there were the two examples. One of them, um, I remember sitting down, I was in a, I, I went into a food court where I knew there were some reasonable okay sort of cafes And uh, and this fellow was drinking his coffee in a takeaway cup and there was another takeaway cup next to him that I could see because it had the lid off. There was still a bit of coffee left. I thought, ah, oh, there's my coffee for the morning, and <laughs> and so so hunter I, gatherer, I, That's me exactly. I don't need to go out the bush; it's right there in our urban <laughs> environment. Um, so I, I I saw there's an empty seat next to him too, and I thought, oh, I'll just sit down and finish his coffee if it's not his. So I asked him, excuse me, is 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 this your coffee? And he he just glanced up from his phone and said, no, it's not. I went, oh, great. So I sat down and I just slowly slipped it, uh, sipped it, and and just, he, he turned away and went back to his phone. I was worried that, oh my God, this guy's going to think I'm so strange drinking this coffee that's left over. He paid no attention to me zero, none, none, none at all, which is funny. It, it brings to mind the spotlight effects which you know, you'd be probably quite familiar mm-hmm. from um, the psychological perspective um, and for the listeners that might be less familiar, spotlight effect occurs when we think that everybody is looking at us when in fact most people aren't. And that's strong. strongest. <laughs> which can be disappointing when we realise it. <laughs> It's really strong. But it's also freeing. It's, right? yeah, it is. Um, if we're doing a behaviour that we think is socially a little bit out of the ordinary, we mm. think even more people are looking at us. And so I thought the world is looking at me eating this man, or oh, drinking this man, or it wasn't, but
0: yeah. this
1: cup of coffee. coffee. And no, he didn't care. He was so immersed in his own world that most of us are immersed in our own world so much that we don't see what's going on around us. Pluses and minuses, how much do we step out of that and actually engage with what's going on around us? So that was one of the things I learned that the people don't in the most part give a toss about anything else that's happening yeah. if it's not affecting them directly.
0: And the lens that you had was really about being conscious of the food that was left, Yeah. so um, it's incredible experiment, and I, I can't help but there is a part of me almost feeling for you. I'm almost feeling for the cleaning
1: people who wanted to pick up the plates yeah. that you were going. No, 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 I'll have
0: that, thank you. And <laughs> did you have I that? I did. In
1: fact, <laughs> um, another coffee example is um, Melbourne, full of fabulous laneways and great cafes and yeah. hole in the wall <laughs> type stuff. And and I remember being in um, one of Melbourne's famous sort of laneways. Um, And there's a fave cafe I had there because I was quite sick of these milky sweet coffees. I don't have coffee with milk or with sugar. And I thought, I really just want a good quality long black. So I was stalking cafes (laughs) that made good coffee. Just hanging around going, can I get something? No, 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 I'm I'm good. good. (laughs) I'll be back in a few minutes when this guy leaves. Um, And and I noticed that um, in one of the outdoor um, seats, Someone had left about a third of a cup of a long black. I was oh. so excited. So as soon as they were, they shuffled out of their seat. I just plonked myself straight in, and had been people would be there having breakfast. So some croissant crumbs were still on plates and things. And uh, and the waiting staff, the, the fellow had come out to clear the the plates. Uh, and I noticed I'd sat down. This we went to clear the table. Of course, mm. so it was good service. And I said, "No, you can leave this cup. It's fine." And he just looked at me. and said, "Oh, um, but that that's not yours." I went, "No, no, that's okay. I'll." Uh, I'll finish that. He said, but but someone else has has drunk out of that. I said, I'll just turn around and drink out the other side. There's no problems. And he was staggered. He didn't know what to say. (laughs) And and then I explained what I was doing. I was showing that there's so much waste that I wanted to run this experiment to show that I could live off the (laughs) waste of others. And he just looked at me and went, huh, that's so true. There's so much food that we throw away. And he took those other plates away. And he came back with a bottle of water and a glass and poured me some and said, stay as long as you like.
0: Wow. I
1: know. So, so. it disrupted him. Yeah. But it gave us a point to discuss. And when we explored it, it's like, yeah, that's a real thing. But we don't pay any attention to anything once again if we don't have a mind disruption somehow.
0: And for him, that's an attention probably forever <laughs> to be able because to Because a strange woman that's sat down right. and drank, drank someone that's else's right. coffee out of the other side of the cup. <laughs> He's probably now going, come on, you can have half of this cup. It's yeah. good to go. Yeah. I now get a text yeah. message, hey, there's a good flat white over here. No, it's <laughs> good. That's a problem with good cafes, I imagine, is most people eat and oh, drink the good stuff. Finish their food, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's only the less good stuff that you oh, yeah.
0: end up with. <laughs> Interesting. So you did that for a week. A
1: week. It was a very interesting experience. Um, I knew there'd be no problems getting food and drink. Abs- sadly, I knew there would be not a problem. Mm. I knew what times of the day to target because my own research in both diners and businesses had told me the sorts of venues, the sorts of diners, the times of day, etc. etc. I knew exactly no problems how I'd be able to feed myself and excessively amount. Uh, there was no problems. There was so much food. Um, I would take sometimes a takeaway container with me um, so that. If I couldn't finish it, I'd take it for later in case I in case didn't find something. I never, I never went without food. That was wow. not a problem. Yeah. Um, it, but it was a really interesting one. No surprises with the sort of food that's left. What do you think it was? What do you think when you go out? What do you reckon people leave on the plate?
0: Oh, salad, the yeah. side salad, <laughs> the side
1: salad, because <laughs> totally. it's a side salad. It's yes. not part of the meal, the main meal most people eat. Yes, right. Yeah. They leave the sides. They leave, yeah, exactly. And in fact, there's some research from Canada that show that diners will not even eat garnish because they don't consider it food; it's decoration. And yet, it's food. I mean, how many, how many kilometres of land have been cleared to grow that le- curly lettuce yes. that we end up leaving on the plate and throw away. It's yeah. insane. Whole ecosystems. Nuts. But if we don't have it, the meal's not good, is it? isn't it? When you think silly. about it, like I'm just kind of
0: going, well, yeah, it just had the steak or you'd go, yeah. well, where's my salad?
1: on <laughs> It's fine. So I'm so conscious of all the stuff that comes with a meal now. Mm. Now, when I dine out, I will ask them how does this come to me how is it presented or prepared and so people say oh you'll you'll have it. and I'll ask is there a side salad or do you get tips with that and yeah. and uh, and so can I have no salad or can I have no lemon wedge or whatever it is to make sure that I don't end up with waste I don't want to receive something that I didn't order yes because people do leave it for that reason, I didn't ask for this. It's there. It's great. I might have a bite. But
0: yeah, you didn't describe it on the, the it's menu, not on the menu. So I didn't realize it was coming with that. Mm. And it's not something I would normally do. Exactly. Eat or I need. really
1: just wanted the steak. Yes. So in, in fact, I have in some instances just ordered just a steak. <laughs> <You> which weirdo. <laughs> I'm so strange. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: go, this is not the weirdest thing I've done. Oh, That's no. <laughs> Are you running any experiments at the
1: moment? Like, I don't mean right no, this no, moment. No, no. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. I've just been discussing. This um with my other half, and and one of the things that um I find I get so excited by an experiment that I just want to start running in another one and as soon as I've finished and that and and we um were discussing the fact that it's so important to savor them at the end to give some space between stuff. I you know the the Uber driver I had coming here this morning. Um, we were discussing being busy. Oh, it sounds like you've been busy. It's like, yeah, yes and no. I've been immersed in things that I'm excited about. And I never considered that busy, but at the same time, I also recognised if I don't give my space, my, myself space between things that I don't get to get the joy out of them all or I don't have the full appreciation of what that meant to me or what I can learn from it. And so um, I have actually, I'm having a minor break between experiments at the moment. I've got some other things coming up, but I've just finished one that actually was not a failure but didn't work for me and so I stopped it early. Okay. It's like, okay, sometimes things don't always have to be completed. And that's a difficult thing to do,
0: Yeah,
1: you know, whether it's in your business, and your personal life. When do you press pause or yeah. stop and know that that's not going to work? Yes. Do you keep persevering and smashing your head against the wall or what are the cues you have to let yourself know that it's okay to let that stop and then take a break and then do something else? Um, and fortunately I track things, maybe obsessively sometimes when I'm in the middle of an experiment and like, for example, I did a three-month experiment last year that I called um, Three Months Three Ways. I did a different diet every month for three months in a row and I, at the end of each month I, I took, I had six vials of blood taken so I could show what happens to my body at a biological, like physiological sort of level as well, mm. as well as nine-site pinch tests done from calipers, all sorts of stuff. Um, but I took, even between each month, I did a 24-hour fast between each one as well so there would be a moment of stop. For 24 hours, don't put anything in your mouth. Just allow that to reset and go again. So a mini version of, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I made sure I monitored everything too so I could see things, what was happening during that time. Um, And so what I was doing recently, I tried to add in a different month to compare with those because someone challenged me, oh, you haven't done something which is really low fat and really high carb, as in not quite vegetarian but as good as. And I used to live like that in the past, so I kind of know how my body responds to that. So, no, 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 you're right, but I'd never tracked it before. Yeah. So I started doing it and within two weeks I was having such a negative response to it. My body put on weight very quickly and I was having mental health and digestive issues and that by just having excessive amount of carbohydrates. Right. Healthy carbs. Yes, yeah. I'm saying that in inverted commas here, um, but not healthy for me. Yeah. So that was what I knew because I was tracking it. It's like, okay. Makes sense. Pause, here, stop. stop. This is not healthy for me. And if we can do that in our lives in different ways, what are the metrics though? What's important to assess our health yes. Yes. and whether it's our business's health, whether it's our personal health, our, our family's health. Relationships. Our yes. relationships and that yes. as well. Yes. Um, do we sit and take stock during that stage and at what point sometimes doing looking at everything at a daily basis is not enough. It in fact it habituates and that's what yep. my own food waste research has shown um that I'm presenting in a couple of weeks' time in Italy. I'm presenting some of my research that shows what happens when businesses track their food waste over a three month period at either a daily, weekly or quarterly basis. And those that did it at a daily basis, no change. Right. In fact a slight increase in food waste. Right, because it was just normal. It's It's just just how we do stuff, we don't pay any attention to it. So same sort of thing here. It's like, okay, there needs to be space between things to have that reflective point of, ah, this is what's happening, ah, this is what's happening, Mm. and then you can tweak stuff. So whether that's for the business purposes there within food waste or for me, for my own health, with these different experiments, if I don't set up, though, the monitoring of it, you just... What are you doing? You're playing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're kind of Russian roulette in some ways. Mm. Uh, But I also love that sense of an experiment. It's something I often talk to people about is just even having this experiment mindset Mm. means that there is no judgment. There's no, you're just looking at data and the data gives you those results. And it's either working helpful Mm. or it's not as helpful And so this sense of you almost remove a sense of failure. Exactly, it wasn't the data wasn't serving the things that really matter. Absolutely, and so therefore it absolutely makes sense to pause. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, yeah, I really love that concept of creating space as well because I think we do. We go right well. Let's quickly sweep that on the carpet. We won't talk about that one. We'll get on to the next Mm. one because then I can be telling people about that or having a sense of purpose connected to that.
1: We learn so much, though, about the things that don't work out quite as we planned as well. If we don't take the time to actually look at that and realise, oh, gosh, that does that thing for me or my business or my family or whatever, then perhaps that behaviour is not a great one to do regularly. (laughs) I might want to not do that or yeah. at the opposite, I might want to do more of that yeah. because it has a fantastic response. So and we don't know. And no, that's
0: knowing yourself. It doesn't have to be because it works for someone else. Correct. It's how, you know, what's the what feedback am I getting for me?
1: We are con- all so different. We are... I'm so much anti the bell curve. As a statistician, my undergraduate degree, I spent four years doing statistics. Now, I don't wear a cardigan or, or, or
0: <laughs> have one of those pocket protectors <laughs> that many statisticians
1: may have in people's minds. However... But they do hand them out at graduation. Yeah, it's bigger than a P-value for those of us who are statisticians. Um, so so I'm, I'm really conscious of this thing called the normal curve, you know, normality and the bell curve and that. And, uh, and, and most results, look at averages and means and so on and then try and stick you or your business or that statistic, that figure under a bell curve of, oh, this is what's normal and then there's a cutoff at each end usually, you know, the the stuff that's the outlier that's more than 5%, like really like, oh, that's an unusual result so we don't pay much attention to that. But that's where the story is. If we don't see the outlier because we're not looking at those figures, we're missing a chance to learn something. I could be that outlier. And, in fact, I seek to be. How can I push myself or challenge myself or extend myself in such a way that I'm always going to be the tail? Because that's where 2.0 is, not in the middle of the curve.
0: Yeah, don't do what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah, my brain's ticking over going, yeah, that's where I want to be <laughs>
1: too. Honestly, mean? probably most of your listeners do already totally, and they're on that yeah. already. They're the early adopters yeah. and things like that. And but it's
0: that permission to fly that oh, mm. we often talk about the freak flag, right? Fly mm. that thing that makes you different to yep. and and part of this podcast so sort it's of stand out. But it's not actually about notoriety or mm. um, but it's just that permission to do it yeah. the way that suits and fits for you. Um, I want to start to wrap up, but I do have a couple of questions. One of them, obviously we've spoken quite a lot about Mars One mission Mm. and and the ambition and the process and what that's meant for you and obviously a lot of thinking around that. If you don't go, Mm. where does that sit for you in your thinking?
1: Completely fine. Um, Obviously I'd love to go. That's my my goal Mm. and part of my dreams, but part of my dreams. And none of us... Are the whole of one dream, you know? It's those who are the most resilient will often have multiple interests in life. Mm. They're going to have eggs in many baskets and not just in one. Yeah. If you drop that one basket and all the eggs are broken, you're kind of screwed. That's not how I see myself in life. And we're all those of us who are fascinated by life or curious, always looking at reading and exploring different things. So for me. I'm always exploring different things and as long as they're all aligned with my values, like what matters to me, the sense of purpose, if you want to use that term, it's a very hot topic at the moment, like doing things for purpose and that's great. I don't think of that term so much but it's more about what excites me, what I want to get up and do first thing in the morning, what do I start thinking about or researching online or is in my newsfeed or whatever that I click on. If I'm following some pathways that follow my values then i'm always going to be fine even if one of those things that i was following falls over it's okay i'm doing other stuff for example my food waste Mm -hmm. research because of the expertise i've gained in this i led one of the advisory boards to the australian government in the recent development of our nation's food waste strategy and so i've been quite pivotal in some of that sort of stuff Um, and so yeah I've never got the chance to do that if I hadn't been curious and wondered why do we create waste and what can we do to improve our environmental and economic situations by understanding what we're doing there. So I'll always find something useful to do that might make a difference on this planet.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just maybe... Mars will still be there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to come full circle. The name of this podcast is called "Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Through all of the curiosity and experiments and questions you've asked, what mm. does it mean to you to live a standout
1: life? To not be afraid to be the outlier, to in fact embrace it. It's taken me a number of years to be comfortable in standing out and realising that I am different but in doing so, I've realised more and more that everybody's different and that we all have the opportunity to stand out in the way that we do in our own unique fashion. And that that's actually pretty cool because they're the stories and they're the interesting things about each other and ourselves and our organisations, or our communities that just make me fascinated and curious about, ha, huh, how interesting. I want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. Tell me about that time when. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're the conversations I want to be a part of as well. Diane, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a delight. And uh, we might do this podcast from Mars one day. Who knows? (laughs) That would be awesome. Delayed telecast, but absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out A Real World Guide to Get Clear, Find Purpose, and Become the Boss of Busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website www.allisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes, and give this podcast a quick rating, so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ally Hill, and this is Standout Life.